Good morning. Well, I, can, I think I can safely say this. I'm happy to be back home. Some of you have no idea how, how strong that statement that really is, because for years, years, we'd go on vacation and come back like with crutches, literally, literally. And so, or, you know, uh, a medical bill as long as your leg, and none of that was Jessica. And we raced home, sort of within the lines. Tossed it out, thought it good, and set a record. And it was one of those good vacations where, you know, it was good to leave. It was great to come home. And, uh, but I have found that I am older than I used to be. I, uh, golly. We came home Tuesday, and I think it was yesterday I finally started to feel normal. How many days is that? Too many. Too many. But, you know, I, I think about going to Colorado like that, and just all it reminds me of is how faithful God is. Because uh, God promised me back in the 80s, late 80s, uh, that if I kept him first, he would allow me to come to Colorado whenever I wanted to. Because I love that place. I mean, you talk about majesty. You know, you see the handiwork of God, and it's just breathtaking. You can lose yourself in that. Well, if you make it an idol, he'll crush it. So uh, there is some issues going on up in there. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the judgment of God seems to be sort of around a little bit right now. And uh, maybe that's the sense that I'm feeling right now. That, you know, there is some big, big stuff seeming like on the horizon. Of, you know, this could be change time coming, kind of folks. I mean, it really could be change. Not good change in the sense that if God moves his hand to to say, I've had enough of this, it's probably going to change. For those of you that have been to uh, Lake City and you've been on the Alpine Loop, about half of it is gone now. <laughs> they had some avalanches, not half of it, but a good portion of it has just been destroyed by avalanches. And so what the avalanche didn't get, the pine beetles have got. Doesn't that sound like judgment to y'all? It's sort of in the Bible, isn't it? Stuff like that. But, anyway, my only hope is to uh, go through the thousand-year reign of Jesus, and I hope he'll give me that city as, as my, my city, and I'll watch it get restored and enjoy it. Uh, there is an announcement I wanted to make before we get going here. Um, next Sunday is the 22nd. We will be having services here as we normally do. And then that evening, for the evening service, we will join the body of Christ. There's like, I don't know, nine or ten churches uh, that are joining together, and we're going to meet out at Mustang Bowl. If you saw the Andrews County News, I don't know, most of you don't even read that anymore. You're too young. Uh, but anyway, there's, a, there's an article in there about that. You should buy it and read it. You know, hey, you should read something just on the screen. It's an awesome experience. You touch it, feel it, hold it. Do you really? Not now. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Well, you're a good man. You're a throwback. Yeah, you're a throwback. <laughs> I mean that in a good way. Uh, anyway, so at six o'clock, be there before that because we're gonna we're gonna join up with other churches. We're gonna have a, about an hour long little deal like we did at the, at the park. So the gathering at Mustang Bowl. And uh would like any of you if you if you get a chance to, to throw in your, your voice 
we're going to have uh, people say, you know, I am a part of the body of Christ. Little kids, old people, uh, men, women, whatever, all over the body. So, folks, if we don't push back on the division that is in our country, we're going to lose it. Don't kid yourself. You can't keep playing with fire and not get burned. I mean, most of you are old enough to know these things. Um, how many of you are over the age of 40? Let's see your hands. Quite a few of you. Have you ever seen the division in our country like you see right now? Even close? Uh, the only time I've seen it that was kind of close was during the 60s during the Vietnam War. I mean, that split generations is what that did, you know, the older and the younger. We, man, that was, that was bad times. But this, I think, is worse. Because I think it's spiritual, more spiritual than, than, than the 60s were. So it's, we are trying to respond. And that's one of the reasons we're doing the things like what we did at the park and like what we're going to do next week. Bring the unity back to the body where we can just talk to one another and not try to kill each other. The vision is Satan's ploy. Unity is God's answer. It was the last prayer of Jesus. John 17, that we would be one. So we have to do our part on that. I mean, God's not going to just yank you up by the hair of your head and put you over there with a bunch of other people. He's not going to do that. Sometimes I wish he would. But he's not going to do that. He'll do his part by you know putting out the call. Our part is to obey it. So y'all think about that. Now, God, since that was the last prayer of Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. And loved by you, just like you love me. That's an amazing statement. God's got a plan to make that, that prayer happen. Jesus didn't pray in vain. He prayed with purpose. And he knew, like he said, uh, my father always hears me when I pray. That's a pretty, pretty good statement. He always hears me when I pray. And so we, we know that he had the petitions that he desired of, of Father God when he prayed that prayer. That prayer was going to be answered. And so God has a plan to answer that prayer and to unify the church and to literally make it into the bride of Christ so that he can present her to Jesus when he comes back. That's the plan. And he's, he's in the process of it. Now, what I'd like to do today is talk about that some more. Uh, we're going to go back and read a few scriptures that we read the last couple of times I was up here just to kind of get you up to speed on that. So look at 2 Peter chapter 1 for a minute. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll go through some things that we've talked about a couple of times. And then move on as to what's going on right now. Second Peter 1. Peter writes, let's pick it up in verse 3. He says, God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which I've given having given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Stop there. You may be partakers of the divine nature. What a statement. That's an amazing statement. You can get kind of crazy with it if you want to. We're not trying to do that. So let's kind of just kind of divide it out a little bit. Partakers. That is a Greek word. It's the root word for koinonia. 
So it's, it's a, the sense of it is this. It is, you can be a partner with God. You can be partnership with God. And as partners, when you come together, you literally have a giving and a taking. And all that, all that's there is, is ours. It's kind of like marriage. Do you know marriage is point of the theoretically? Supposed to be. Koinonia. It's an amazing thing. In fact, koinonia is one of the, the promises he's talking about here. One of the, the blessings of being a Christian is that you can have fellowship with one another in God. It's an amazing giving and taking. When you go to church on Sundays, you should leave that, that, that service uplifted, edified, better. Something hits you deep that you can't even explain if you know it's there. Because God gave it to you. So, koinonia is a, is a literally uh, a taking things that, like, that's in God, not man. And Him sharing that with us. Okay? So, and likewise, it goes the other direction. So, like, did you know there's things in us that God wants to partake of? Think about that. Do you believe that? The Bible is real clear. The Bible says that you are his portion. You are the apple of his eye. The desire of his heart. We say songs like that this morning. You are what he desires. So, he's not kidding either. He's not trying to blow smoke up your dress if you have a dress. He's dead serious that when he gets with you, there's something in you that he wants to have. He likes you. How about that? Sometimes. No, he always loves you. Sometimes he likes you. <laughs> so, anyway, coming in. And so by these promises of God in, in 1 Peter 3, we can, part, we can partake of the divine nature. What he has, we can participate in. Crazy. So here's how it works. You know, here's the here's the coin idea that's going to flow here. God offers, we add to ourselves, and He's going to give us eight graces of the divine nature that can be offered to you and added by you if you'll do it. You don't have to, but you can. So let's read through these eight graces here. Pick it up in verse five. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, here's what, faith is one, virtue. To virtue, knowledge, that's three. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, and now we're going to come to the last two virtues or graces of God, of the divine nature that he wants to offer to you. Two different words in the Greek for love. Brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness is the Greek word phileo. It's I like you. You know, I love you. A friend of yours. And uh, Jesus was that. He said, I call you friends. I don't call you my service anymore. I'm calling you my friends. Friends share everything. It's a form of love. Now, have you noticed that you don't, you're not friends with everybody? Have you noticed that? Yeah. You know, he doesn't command you to be friends with everybody. Thank you. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> Hallelujah. But he does command you to do the next one, love everybody. 
agape. You are commanded to agape everyone in the body. Everybody. Phileo is more of a, you know, personal thing. You know, I like, I like, I like going. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who I don't like. <laughs> don't take this as a, as a hint. I'm looking this way. Uh, uh, just kidding. So, but all these are God's graces that he adds to you. And the final crowning thing of it all is love. It's an amazing thing. It's the best. The best grace of God. The best portion of the divine nature is that God is love. Amen? The best he's got. I like this. If you have a Bible like mine, this Jack Hayford, this Spirit-filled Bible, look at this kingdom dynamics over here. This is excellent. It's written by a guy, by a guy named Davis Shakarian. Uh, Davis Shakarian was the man, most of you don't even know what I'm supposed to say, but I'll say it anyway. He's the man that started uh, the Full Gospel Businessman Fellowship International. He's an amazing man. He has a book one of the coolest books I've ever read. It's called The Happiest People on Earth. You like to read a book like that? I mean, that's not a challenging type of a title, is it? That makes you want to read it. But who are the happiest people on earth? Okay? Good guy. Anyway, here's what he writes about these last two words. He says, uh, um, I'm thinking about halfway. These are graces. This divine nature allows us to escape the corruption that is in this world. These, this divine nature are graces. These graces are necessary to lift, lift us above the, the decay of human nature and unto brotherly kindness and love. So all these attributes lift us to this higher level of brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness dissolves personal infighting. And ungracious ignoring of one another. Maybe we need that in marriages. What do you think? You ever get close shoulder in marriage? How wonderful is that? <laughs> and infighting, you know, within the body. It allows us to refocus on our real enemy, Satan. That's interesting. Folks, when you're fighting and ignoring one another... You're missing the point. Your enemy is being ignored. It's the devil. Amen. Reload and refire. Satan is your, is your problem. Further, to master love is to receive and release agape love, the Christ, that, that is Christ-like, the unconditional gift that is full of affection, bursting with benevolence, and that provides a love feast to all to whom we minister in the name of Jesus. Now get this next sentence. This text is a promise for those yielded enough to let these gifts flow. We can actually participate in the divine nature of God, which is elevated above the corrupt, divisive spirit of the world. Now I said when we started this, we have a real problem in this country. Division. We are so divided, it scares me. And what really scares me is that we are divided in the church. The churches themselves won't unite. Some of them will. Some of them don't think they need to. 
They're really the ones that need prayer more than anybody else. That's called the Laodicean church. And it is in Andrews. Don't need you. Yeah, you do. You're, you're blind if you think that. Well, you're not seeing correctly. The answer to the divisive spirit that is in our world, especially in the church, is the love of God. That's the answer. So I feel like God has set that in front of me. I've run into churches, usually along racial lines, that have different perceptions of what is acceptable in the body of Christ. Okay? That's the truth. Abortion. You don't want to vote on abortion? You think it's wrong? Like really long? Really, 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 really wrong. Massive portions of the body of Christ are okay with it. You know how I know? Huge percentages of the body of Christ vote for Democrats who support abortion. How can you separate that? You really can't. I mean, if you're going to be truthful, you cannot, in good conscience, support both. A house divided cannot stand. How can you support someone who hates what God hates, who loves what God hates, and hates what God loves? And yet, these same people will tell you they love God. And you know what? They do. Did y'all understand what I just said? They do love God. Houston, we have a problem. We got to fix something here. The answer is not to always get away from me when Jesus is praying that you would come to me. I got to deal with it. How many of you in marriage have found that you don't quite agree on some essential elements? So, what do you do? Kick them out? I know people that have done that. They're those six, seven, eight, marriage. That ain't the answer. You got to deal with it. And that's what we're going to talk about. First uh, John 3. Divine nature. We want to go there. It ends with love. First John 3. Verse 1, it also starts with love. Verse 1, behold what manner of love, agape, the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Do we get to the point of being a a born-again Christian? It started with love. God so loved the world. That type of thing. Therefore, The world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know when he is revealed, that's when he comes back, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Is he got the divine nature? Does Jesus have the divine nature? Of course he does. When he comes back. The work of God that proceeds that will change something in us. So that we will see him like he is because it will be in us. We've got a ways to go, obviously. But that's what he said. 
got two apostles saying basically the same thing. you got Peter, you got John. You want Paul talks about it, says, I pray that you will know the love of God so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Isn't that similar at least? So they're all saying something in a, and, and describing the, the it in different words, but it's the same thing. That's what he wants to do in us. And so the next verse in this John scripture says, Everyone who has this hope of getting to that place purifies himself, just as he is pure. So here we are again. I have a part to play to get to that point. I can't just lay it exactly with it. And it you know, I, that word purify is from the root word to become holy. Now, when you're born again, you, you are entrusted with that state. He makes you holy. But you know what, folks? You have to work to keep that and perfect that. I know the day that I got born again, y'all heard the story in Las Vegas. There at the party, somebody interrupted my party by speaking in tongues. The next thing you know, I get saved. Bother! So I went home and smoked a joint. So holiness has some work to be done with. You get my point? I mean, he gives it to me, but then I've got to do something with it. And I can defile it. You can have your dirty spirit all you want to, but you're supposed to cleanse yourself from that stuff. You're supposed to. So if I have, if I want to get here, then I need to do some work to get there. Purify myself. Cleanse myself. Make myself like him. I mean, he's offered it to me. I need to partake of it. Look at this. Corinthians. Second. This word, holy or purified. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 11. This word, uh, purify yourself, is used by Paul right here. In verse 11, chapter 11, verse 2. He said, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. <clears throat> for I have betrothed you. That means to like you're entered to be engaged with someone for marriage. Except it's a little bit stronger than that in, in, the, uh, in the Bible. I mean, you literally have entered into the, the covenant. You're, you're basically married. Not quite all the way, but you're so close you can see it. I have betrothed you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste, that's that word pure, holy, chaste virgin to Christ. So like I said, God has a plan to unify his church and make it a chaste virgin bride for Jesus. That's his plan. Divine nature gets us there. This is not a new idea. This bride thing, marrying Jesus it's not a new idea. It's actually, it's a 2.0. 1.0 is in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, 
Thus says the Lord. So he's speaking to Israel, the first covenant people. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. There's that word. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord. So there's that state. Betrothal brings you to this holiness state if you want to walk with the bride of Christ. Israel was holiness to the Lord. The first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. But something happened. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 4. O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What injustice have your fathers found in me? That they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and become idolaters. That was the end of their state, was idolatry. I hear my son's been preaching to you guys about idolatry. And what that ended up for them, what that got for them in the end, was a bill of divorcement. You can read the Bible. God hates divorce. I wonder how he knows. He's been through it. He talks about the bill of divorcement that he gave Israel. Because of their idolatry to, to God, idolatry is adultery in the spirit. And that's the one out he gives to everybody. You do adultery, you can get out of this relationship. It hits your heart. Hits your spirit. Hits your body. I mean, it hits every part of you. So he's not, he, he gets it. So anyway, the, the point I'm trying to make is that God's tried this before. It ended on the walks of idolatry. That's why we're bringing it up again. Do you think we may have an issue? Folks, well, I know we have an issue. This country is full of it. It really is. I don't know how far Mike went with that idolatry thing, but I could probably make you all mad at me right now by pointing out some of your idols. Y'all want to play? No. Uh, only that's Mike. You know, he can do that stuff. I've already done it once. I've already ticked off my generation. You can tell off yours. Is that permission or a challenge? That's fine. Anywho. Idols. They're vain. They're empty. What was the score last night, Pastor? <laughs> when I first came, I'll give you one. Uh, when I first came to Andrews and got uh, started my ministry, I ran to a guy that kept poking one of my idols. The idols of Israel. The Dallas Cowboys. But I hear we're going back to the Super Bowl. And my point is, is you just got to watch how you deal with anything that God gives you. You know, every blessing from God can be turned into an idol. Did you know that? Didn't Gideon have that problem? Was it? uh, They took something from Gideon. They made an idol out of it. Anyway, you got to watch it. Even when God moves, here's the point. Even when God moves, 
and does something amazing, if you don't watch out, you'll, you'll crystallize that event and make it an idol. Yeah. So we go rushing to these big events. Because why? God's going to be there. Why well, God was everywhere? Doesn't he feel heaven and earth? Mm-hmm. Just think about it. Just think about it. Think about it. Okay, amen. So what's God going to do? He has a plan to deal with it. He has a plan. And I want to talk to you about that plan. John 3. No, I'm sorry, John 1. He starts it out like this. John 1. He talks about the beginning. Verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And that ought to be good right there. It's got to do with the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. Of course, Jesus is that Word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. That's what we have when we receive Jesus as our Savior. We receive Zoe, Greek word, life. Kingdom life. Different life. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. So when, when he offers us life, <clears throat> what comes with that is light. Okay? Keep going. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So we have Jesus, the Lord begins to uh, crystallize or cast this thing in terms of a battle between Life and death, light and darkness. If you have a word well, like my Bible, you can read that next word well about comprehend about the, the battle between light and darkness. There is a battle there. They are antagonistic to one another. The good news is darkness will not win if you stay with the battle. But it can win if you get into it. Alright? You walk with the light, you will win. Sometimes it won't feel so good, but you'll get there. You will get there. Folks, number one rule in walking with God, don't give up. Do not give up. When you feel like giving up, that's your signal. Don't give up. Don't do it. You'll win if you don't give up. All right, so we got light and darkness, life and death. That's the battle. Look in chapter 3. Excuse me. Everybody's ears out. The most famous scripture in the Bible, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So He immediately, I mean, He He sent Jesus into this world. He is the life of of God, the life of men, and He imparts His light. So. God, so, it's, like I said earlier, it ends in love, this divine nature. <coughs> it also began in love. It began in love. 
the, the seed which we received that, that gave us the right to be born again was formed in love. So our spiritual DNA traces itself back to that love of God. God is love. So when he planted his seed in us, we literally got planted with love. It's in us. And now he wants to add to it, develop it, make it more. But it starts that way. Don't you think that the fruit of our life should end that way? Should it look like what the seed was? So love is the seed. He so loved the world that he gave his son. My God, you couldn't do more than that. That we could have this. So, I mean, this, the significance of the trade you know, is enough to tell you, this is serious business with God. When you give up your own kid, so that people who, the Bible later says, that are his enemies, so that they can live, this is serious. And I think it demands a serious response and attention to it. So, keep reading here. We know that was a plan of God. He, he literally invades our world. How many of you got saved because you thought about it? How many of you instead got saved because God thought about it? Did he just like interrupt your day one time and the next time you know you're saved? You can't think about it and get saved. You know, it's not some option on a menu. No man can come to God except the Spirit draws him. So when he chooses to, he invades your life and gives you a deal that you really you shouldn't you shouldn't resent. It's better than anything you've ever seen. But it does stuff when it comes. Verse seventeen: God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through Him might be saved. So you should underline seventeen with sixteen. God's entire intention was never to condemn. That is not His heart. He didn't do it just to make your life weird. So you find something wrong with you. And then condemn you. That was never his intent. Love doesn't do that. He sent him in the world that the world through him might be saved. 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. See, when he does come, and he's come to every one of you, hopefully every one of you, immediately it demands a choice by you. What do you love the most? You like your old lifestyle? You know, a lot of people want to play the game of the thief on the, on the cross. I want, to, I want to wait, have a great time. What, get your heart broke and smashing, maybe getting AIDS? I don't know, a great time. And then at the last minute, I'll turn my life over to God. Got the best of both worlds. All that partying, and then I get to go to heaven. That's stupid. Real stupid. Especially since it's not you. They get the call today that God knocks on your door. You cannot do it that way. If he knocks on your door, you should answer it. Open the door when he, when he knocks. 
So he comes to life. Now then, you have to choose from here. You have to make some choices. Darkness or light. Everyone, see, something happens when light comes into the world. When light comes into your world, something happens. And we're going to read it to you right now. Something happens. And because of this thing, a lot of people always try to make sure they're not in church on the day that it should happen. I call it Larry's Law. I look around at church, not to see who is here, who's not here. Larry's Law says you will never hear what you should hear because you chose to not be here. Larry's Law is awesome. I mean, it's awesome in the fact that it works. It really is a bad law because it works. Now, let's keep reading and see what happens. Verse 19. Uh, this is the condemnation. Lights come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because they're deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. What happens in the light? Deeds are exposed. That's the word we're going to look at. Exposed. That is the Greek word. It's an amazing word called elenko. Elenko. Let me just read what elenko means. The definition of elenko means to bring to the light. Things that are being done have got to come to the light. No more, no more secrets. You literally expose it. it. Means to call to account. In other words, when it comes, there is accountability that is required. You can't ignore it. You have to answer. In fact, it demands an answer. How many of you, uh, your mode of fighting with your spouse is a, we'll talk later? You ever use that card? That's not a lingo. The Lanko demands an answer. Do you ever get the right? Get this now. Don't look at your spouse. Look at me. Do you ever have the right to demand an answer from your spouse on what is being done? Somebody say yes. Will it cost you? Always. Have you ever done Elanco? In a wrong spirit. Always? Usually? So there's a lesson to be learned here. Right? Lesson number one. Elanco is a work of the Spirit. And God, and God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it. Have you ever tried Elanco with the end goal being to condemn? It'll never work. Sorry. Yeah, just, you know, somebody get the bloody nose. Or, you know, you can sleep on the couch. Again. Yeah, sure. You literally, now, get this. Now, these are dangerous words, people. But you've got to hear them. Cause, I mean, and, and God will work it out in you. You'll probably make some mistakes. To show someone their fault. I mean, there really is something wrong. There's something wrong. 
And maybe they don't see it. Maybe they don't want to see it because they love darkness. More of that. What? That kind of is quiet in here. All right. It demands an explanation. And its goal is to correct the relationship. <laughs> I've told you all this before. We tried, Al Houghton taught this one time when we first came here. And I got this, this cartoon. It was, a, it was a picture of a uh, psychiatrist on the fifth floor getting thrown out of the window by his patient. And, and our, someone wrote over there, our first attempt at Elenco. Better watch out. You may be the psychiatrist getting thrown out of the fifth-story window. Whoops. Didn't mean it that way. So it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. You should be praying in the Spirit. Amen? Your answer is in the Spirit. You can do like mine said one time. I can either point out what is obvious or I can get involved. You can get into the relationship. You can koinonia. You can have fellowship with one another. Amen? Amen. This ain't about getting your way. This is about getting Jesus' way. Amen? It ain't you or him, or, you know, him or whatever. Amen. Okay, so Elanco is the issue. Look in Ephesians 5. Verse 8. I love verse 8. It says, You were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord. So let's just stop for a second and take away all pretensions. Everyone in here started out darkness. That was you. Don't pretend that you didn't. Everybody has. Amen. So that should take away pride. You know what I mean? You know, I ain't the, I ain't the king here. I'm the one who got saved. And you approach the other guy that way, and he too is a child of God or she, sort of humbles you. At least it should if you had a, just a bit of wisdom. I mean, every parent in here, what was the one thing you would fight for is if someone came in and what? Did something to your kid? Don't you, does not get your hackles up faster than anything? You did what to my son or my daughter? Not a good idea. Just saying. So treat one another the right way. Start there. Humble yourself. You were darkness. No doubt about it. But now you are light. So then it says, so. Walk as children of light. In other words, act like it. Don't just accept the cloak and say, well, you know, I'll do what I want to do. Beers are on me. Let's get drunk. Get real. Get real. My granddad had a great saying here. He says to walk in the light. Don't sit in it. 
If you're not making progress, you're going backwards. It's a slow fade, folks, to lose what God has given to us. It's a slow fade. Well, that Casting Crown guy, he has the best lyrics out there, doesn't he? That dude nails it. Keep reading here. Okay, so now we've established, you know, where we all be in. Now we're supposed to walk as children of light, and here's how. Keep reading. Mine. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And here we go, verse 11. Have no fellowship, koinonia, with the unfruitful works of darkness. How many of you think that you can be a Christian and still play with your friends in the world? Bad idea. Oh, I'm going to get them saved. You want to make a bet? I bet you right now it goes the other direction. I'll put a hundred bucks on it. And as soon as you come up with ninety nine dollars the dollar, we'll get it. hundred bucks. The Bible's real clear. Holiness is not contagious. Iniquity is. Very contagious. Amen? So have no fellowship, no colonia. I don't need to partake of what they got. They ain't got what I got. They got darkness. I got light. I want more light, not more darkness. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Elanco. Now let me just go to the back to the marriages, because I had a lot of fun there. I've seen marriages that you, they rock along, they get the seven-year itch. Y'all know what the seven-year itch is? You do, don't you? Yeah. Oh, is it less than seven for y'all? Oh, nine. Slow learners. You know, all of a sudden you use this itch to find something else. And so one of them, or maybe both of them, you know, I'm just kind of bored with this marriage. Let's lighten it up. You ever heard that? Let's lighten it up. And how are we going to liven it up? Well, let's go dancing. Where? Well, where do you dance? Where do you dance? I, I don't know about words and ears. I just don't know. <laughs> Who said what? <laughs> that is an option. <laughs> and maybe it's for you. I don't know. And I'm not saying dancing is wrong. When I started, you know... Uh, trying to date my wife, I would dance with her. In the living room. Patrick, I'm coming down there. I want to thump you right on those. <laughs> and I'm not talking. I can't do that dance. And so I'm, I'm, I'm talking about things I've seen, people. Experiences I've had. Of people that said, well, we need to liven up the marriage. So they go to the bars, they get drunk, they start dancing, they have a great time, and someone says, can I dance with your wife? Sure. I gotta go to the bathroom anyway. The next thing you know, weeks later, she's still talking to him. Oh, last person. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But you start compromising. Iniquity is contagious. Don't kid yourself. It's like a trip at night. They're coming to the marriage, 
And what fellowship, the Bible says, is, does God have with darkness? Try a big fat zero. Nada. Niche. None. Nine. He doesn't do it. But I can do it. Why? You better than God? Smarter? You got an angel or something? Bovine scatology comes to mind. Come on. Maybe you are your idol. When you start acting like God, you're the problem. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Twelve, it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Isn't that odd? Because that's usually where darkness things get done. Secret. Things are not in the light. Thirteen, all things that are exposed and lengthened are made manifest by the light. Now, I want to make a moment here. It is the light that does Elenco. That is Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit. Your your uh, curiosity or your your uh, negativity or your your jealousy that's that's not sanctified is not the light. I have found that people that are so concerned about what their spouse is doing, you know, you should really look behind the door and see what they're doing. That's the truth. I find a guilty dog is the one that's barking a lot. Amen? So, then he says this interesting thing. This is so interesting. Verse 14 is to me so interesting. Therefore he says, or your Bible may say, therefore it is written. Here's what God says about all this stuff that we have just read. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Now, what he just did was quote three scriptures or more from the Old Testament. I think it's really a neat little exercise to see what he was talking about. Awake and arise. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 52. Still too quiet out there. Y'all lighten up a little bit. You're not dead. You're dying, but you're not dead. Yes, I did. Isaiah 52. Awake and arise. And I looked at a bunch of different Bibles, and they all refer back to these scriptures. There's more than what we're going to read here, but for the most part, they all had these three. Give you three in a row. 52 verse 1. Awake. That was one of the words. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Now, when you see Zion... And this next line, uh, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. That is usually speaking about the bride. Code word for the bride. All right? This is a prophetic utterance. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O bride. Put on your beautiful garments. That's the bride's garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. That says to me, those people in the body of Christ who will not clean it up will be ushered out. 
Folks, as he is trying to unify the church, he's deadly serious. And those who won't do it, he's going to find them a way out. So he said, wake up. You ever read the parable of the ten virgins? What was the issue? They were all asleep. Wake up. Some of them had prepared themselves correctly for the coming of the bridegroom. Others had played around. They hadn't taken care of business when business was there. And they all left. So this is like a clear shot. You better wake up to what's going on around you. Because God is making a separation. Unclean, uncircumcised, those who won't enter the covenant, out of here. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds on your neck. Don't be, don't go back to your old stuff that conquered you. I tell you what, only by the grace of God will I say this. I will never smoke another joint. I know what it does to me. It conquered me for seven years. I will not do that. I even watched pain pills, because I, I, mean, I did it all. Pills, I don't go back there. The drug world is bad. I won't touch it. Bonds on my neck, I was set free. I will not go back there. So maybe you should think about that in your life. That was my issue. That was my get high on choice. What was yours? Drugs? Booze? What? Usually everybody's got something. Next scripture. Isaiah 60. We start off in Ephesians. Arise, awake and arise. Here's an arise scripture. 60. Verse 1. Arise and shine. For your light has come. Here we go. And the glory of the Lord is, is risen upon you. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness, the people. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, what's that saying? Well, this portion of it, we have the, the other word, the uncircumcised and the unseen won't come in. And yet, there's another work going on as well. Gentiles, that's those that don't know God. They're not saved. And get this, they're not playing the game. They are who they are. They're druggies. They did something wrong. They're not Christians. But at the end time, this is the craziest thing. In the, it's amazing. you got two things going on simultaneously. They look exact opposites of these you got on the one side, you've got to separate the, the life of the sheep from the goats. Those that are in the body and some don't want to play the game, out of here. At the same time. He is going out to the highways and the hedges to those that don't even know God and inviting them in. Isn't that crazy? It's like got two doors. One, everybody, get out of here if you don't want to play the game. And those that have never played the game, if you want to come on in, come on in. So the bride is, is, is being prepared. You know, get up. Don't worry about those that won't be serious about this. I'm going to take care of them. And guess what? My glory's coming on you, and it's going to be an attraction for those that never knew me. Wait for the great harvest. It's on its way. It's on its way, folks. Get ready. Get up. 
Quit praying dead. Quit pretending you don't see what's going on in your life. Amen? Another one. Isaiah 26. And the word, the Muslim goes this verse right here, 26:19. Again, it's awake and arise. This one verse has them both. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake. Two in a row. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Now, that scripture makes no sense at all unless you look at the verses that are with it. So let's go back up. You get a you get a flavoring for what why he ended up here, verse sixteen. And boy, does this ever play for us right now? I really see this. Verse sixteen. Lord, in trouble they have visited you. That's, I'm talking about you guys. In trouble you visit God. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. Y'all feel like you've been spiked a little bit today? You should be praying. Okay. He wants to correct you so that he can be partakers of his holiness. That's Hebrews 12. 17 is interesting. As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pains, birth pains, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, Brought forth wind. Nothing. No child. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. I see no baby, and I see no victory. All I am is stuck in the middle with you. That was a song, wasn't it? <laughs> All these good, these good gospel songs keep coming back. And then it says, your dead shall rise. And they're going to awake and sing. Folks, I really feel that right now. That you guys, some of you are trying to birth something big. And you don't yet see it. And you feel like you're dying. Being healed. And you don't know that you have hope because you're not sure this is going to work. Am I right? Then turn back to Ephesians 5. We'll show you what you're trying to birth. I know you're going to love it because you've loved everything I've said so far. What are we birthing? I want you to notice the chronology of the things being done here. In other words, there is an order in which they are done. One, two, three, the first this, then that, then that, then that. We're talking about the marriage one more time. Are y'all ready? Heck yeah. And someone say, no, please go over. Sorry. You get the full body. Where did I get this stuff? Ephesians 5 is about the, the marriage, and it is a picture of the, the relationship between Jesus and his to soon be bride, the church. So when we're in marriage, folks, you, you really need to understand your marriage is a model, an example to the world of what's supposed to be going on between Jesus and the church. So, you know, get your marriage right. You're supposed to be soft in this earth, 
Not a pic, not a, a, a horror movie. But don't get that. Some people look at our marriage and go, oh my God! I run to be drunk. Amen. You are not helping. This is interactive. I'm having a great time. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. <laughs> but you got a good attitude. Verse 25. You get that. Uh, what's that uh, award they give to all the, the beauty pageant people that didn't win? Mr. Geniality. You get that award. All right, so here are the things that, that are being done and have started being done. All right, and we start off in verse 22, wives. It always starts with a woman, by the way. I don't know why. I just can only speculate. But boy, could I give a good one. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, is Christ is the head of the church, he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is submit, subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Now, that's been hammered a million times. And that's the first thing that has to take place in the birthing process that we're doing. Okay? And ladies, I'm not trying to be rude or weird or nothing. I just tell you this is what the Bible says. Okay? So if you want to argue, argue with God. Leave me out of it. Amen? Does that, does that present a problem? Does this submission issue bring a problem? Oh, may I suggest a problem? Oh, I, I will then. Thank you for asking. Hold your place and turn... If you would, to First Peter, chapter 3. When this command goes forth, it brings up an issue. Do you remember, oh, let's just read this first, and then we'll talk about it. First Peter, chapter, I said 3. Yeah, 3. First one. Verse 1 says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so there you have it. Again, a different apostle saying the same thing. Does it bring up an issue? Look down to verse 5. In this manner, in former times, way back in floppy disk days, holy women, now who are they? Holy women, isn't that what the bride is supposed to be? Purified? Holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Now this is what I see. When you bring up the issue of submission to your own husband, it brings up the issue of trusting God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why is that? Because this command goes straight to the Garden of Eden. That when they failed and entered into darkness, here's your ticket out. When God created man and woman, he created them and them to have the vision over the entire earth. That was the plan. But when they failed, he said to the woman, because you were deceived, I want you, even though he put it there, he says, you will desire to control your husband, but instead, 
submit to him. That was the command. Everybody with me? So this goes back to the get-go. And so the very thing that has never been taken away. Never. And so the very thing that is your one thing to do is brought up. It immediately makes you, it unveils a darkness in you called, I don't trust God who gave the command. Go right over your head. Ladies, is, is this going on with any of you right now? As God starts digging in to the relationship, He does things after one, after the other, after the other, asking you to submit to your husband, and He's showing you that He can be trusted, but guess what you do? Not yet. Not yet. Give me another round. Am I right? So that's interesting, isn't it? The one thing, trust in God. And you can tell, folks, if a woman trusts God, the fruit of that is that she will submit to her husband. A husband who is not, get this, perfect. Maybe not as smart as you. Maybe doesn't see things as well as you. Maybe he's a knucklehead. I just always end up there. So you have all the reasons in the world to disobey. Don't you? Don't you? Or do you? So see, obedience is real clear and easy. It's what we call binary. It's either yes or it's no. There's no in tweens and yeah buts and if you only knew. It's real, real simple. So when you get angry at your husband because he ain't doing what you think he ought to do, maybe you should have said, pray. Life is trying to come into your life. And life code maybe needs to be used to bring it up so that you can turn. Amen? Because I, 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 I don't know. Keep reading. Ephesians 5. 25. Husbands. Agape. Love. Didn't say you had to love or like her. I mean, you know, that ship is failed for some people. Right? The bloom is off the rose. Now we got to deal with each other. So the only answer for such incompatibilities and not seeing things the same way and all the irritation that comes with living with another person, the only answer is love in the doppy level. Because love conquers all. Love, agape, never fails. Phileo fails. Uh, motherly love for their children fails. She didn't believe they were barbecuing their own children. Sounds like an idea sometimes, doesn't it? That's an option. So he, that's his problem. First, the wife has to submit. And on the same rail, the man is supposed to love. 
And nobody's doing it very well. Because that's why. But you got to keep trying. Amen. Keep trying. Every day is a new day. His mercies are renewed every morning. There's grace for every new day. Ain't it? I die daily. That's what it says. And I promise you, you're a rose garden. I promise you, the kingdom of God. Keep reading. Love her. Look at verse 26. Verse 25. Love her like Christ loves the church, and he gave himself for her. So, folks, here's how agape looks like. You first sacrifice for that person that you're loving. You're not waiting for them to do it right. You sacrifice. Me and I'm talking to you. You know, put up with it. Or whatever you've got to do, do it. And don't complain to me. We all got a wife. Amen? So you love her like Christ did. I mean, did he leave heaven for you? That's quite the sacrifice, I would say. Heaven itself, he left for you and died for you. Now, I think that sort of frames the issue, doesn't it? That's how far we go with this. You just do it. And gave himself for her, and I, look at 26, so that, here's the result he gets out of that. He might sanctify, make her holy. It creates holiness in the, in the object of it. Holiness in her. And cleanse her, purifying her, <coughs> with the washing of water by the word, so that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. May I suggest to you, that when he does these things, 26B kicks in. He can cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That, my friend, is the truth spoken in love. That is El Anko. Did y'all get that? Because that was good. Folks, sometimes it takes 30 years before you ever get the right and the open door to say, I'm talking to the husband. To say what you need to say to your wife. Did y'all hear me? You have to purchase this right. But when you have purchased this right, there comes a moment where God literally demands that you not walk in darkness, but that you expose the works of darkness in your own relationship. Bingo! So that's what Jesus does. But he first proves his love before he ever goes to where the faults are. And there are faults in all of us. And about the women, they say, well, this is not fair. What about him? Would you rather deal with a person down here you can see, or a God in heaven that can smoke anybody any moment he wants to? His accountability is to God who is never wrong. Never. So, I mean, it's, it's a bigger deal to me. Some of you are there. It is time to elenco in your marriage. But you've got to agape the thing first. Keep reading. Verse 20, 28. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife, loves himself. And on and on and on he goes. Look on verse 32. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular... Here we go. So love his wife. That's the best part. 
Ask himself, Aaron, the next part. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, see, we started this whole process off with her submitting to him. That's not enough. Oh, there's more? Sorry. You end it with respecting your husband. Hmm. May I suggest, I know this is going long, but I feel like I really ought to get this out. May I suggest, and I'm not trying to be facetious, I'm not trying to be angry or weird, but I just don't think women understand what it means to respect a man. I'm just being honest with you. How would you know? You weren't born with this knowledge. This comes from above. This is wisdom from above. Amen? Maybe you should ask him. The Bible says if you have any questions about things, you should ask your husbands at home. You know that? That's the Bible. And don't presume that you do know. Please, don't do that. Because I want to suggest to you that you will be wrong. You know, folks, I mean, I watch, I watch people relate. Women, y'all have this amazing way to relate to each other. A man cannot survive five minutes of that deal. I mean, when a bunch of women get together and they start doing their thing, we didn't leave. We can't handle it. Seriously, we can't handle it. You do not treat a man, ladies, like you treat a woman. We're not the same. And there's an assumption that that's what you're supposed to do. I, how many of you women, well, I kind of have ever heard it said by other women, or you yourself had said this to either their mother or their daughter, I hate you, I never want to see you again. Can I see that? Sure, yes. Come on, be honest. You've never left those words out of your mouth. Or you've never heard another woman say that to a their mother or their daughter. I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. And women do that with one another. And, and, and y'all get over it. It's amazing how you get over that. And you get over that. And tomorrow you're out shopping. Well, that's a great equalizer. Let's go shop. Sure. Get out of here. Don't ever say that to a man. Ever. You just disrespected him. And I can go on and on and on. But I want to leave that for your own household. All I'm asking is that, not in the, in the heat of the passion or the moment, but in the calmness of the afternoon, ask him about respect. Now, why is that important? We are modeling the way the bride is to Jesus. If you think that we can tell him some of the stuff that we say to one another, you're really mistaken. Amen? And the interesting thing about this uh, is this. You know, one thing that I hear so many people say that's one of the big problems that we have in our society today is that there is no fear of the Lord. Would y'all agree with that? Did you know the word respect is phobos, fear? 
spirit. What you are birthing, ladies, is the fear of the Lord into our society if you will respect your husband. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. You had to go climbing up mountains and killing giants. Just respect him. And go ask him what that means to him. Amen? Everybody happy now? Sure. Nothing better. <laughs> to me, this is as serious as it gets. Honestly. As serious as it gets. And a light is going to be required. And men, you should be fasting and praying. <laughs> Lest she really does ask you this question. Because your answer needs to be something from the Holy Spirit that goes right at an issue. Not all of them. Oh, my God. First, ask for wisdom. Can we do this one thing at a time? And then, of course, women, maybe your husband should come ask you how he can love you better. And I've learned some lessons. I'm still learning, you know, never call her out in front of a crowd. God, I bought that T-shirt more than once. That ain't love, according to her. That's the couch time, I think. That's not right. So, you know, I think we need to help each other here. Amen? Can we do it? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask grace on these people. Grace on the divine nature, let it be. And grow them into what they should do. Just like you, my God. Oh, my God, what would you do if you were in my body and you were dealing with my wife or with my husband? What would you do? Would you do that? Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.